If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts and chapter 2. Acts 2 and also going into Acts chapter 3. This is the last message I will preach as the senior pastor of this church. Before I say anything, before we even read scripture this morning, I want to, say, I want to do two things. Number one, I want to say thank you for being an amazing church to pastor over 25 years. Some of you weren't there at the start. That's right, Kaz. <laughs> but we worked out that there are seven, maybe eight people that have done the whole 25 years. But we thank God for what he has done, is doing, and will continue to do in this place. Second thing I want to say is, church, thank you for taking a risk 25 years ago. Because let's be honest, I was only 26. I'd come straight out of Bible school. I thought I knew everything. I was going to take on the world. I honestly believe Whitburn would be saved by Christmas time that year. That the church would be demolished and would be meeting in some mega auditorium and in the zeal of youth. And I am the person I am today because of this church. Learned so much over the years. Actually, what you don't know is that you're my case studies. When I travel around Scotland, I talk about you, I brag on you, I boast about you, I love on you and tell the church. I don't, I don't give the names, because uh, that would be a little bit naughty, wouldn't it? Tell you some of the stories I tell, that would be naughty. Truth is that uh, I am the person I am today, not just because of a, a good Christian heritage legacy upbringing, thank God for, for that, but because of doing life with this church. And this morning, I want to preach a message which I've changed. I was going to preach Ephesians 4 and 1, where the Apostle Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. That was the scripture I preached on 25 years ago, June the 30th. You inducted me on us on the Saturday evening, and then on the Sunday morning, I'm on the platform, first message, Ephesians 4.1, and I'm, going to, I'm giving it everything. And I learned a very valuable lesson then. I had so much stuff, so many notes. I thought, hey, don't be silly, Andrew. Don't preach it all in one message. Hey, they, just take your time. Pause. Take a breath. This can do two or three messages. You can hit the golf course Monday to Friday. and you've got the, No, I'm just joking. You've got the message prepared. I was going to preach this, that text until middle of the week. And then God put something into my heart. So I changed it, and I've worked hard up until even till last night, early this morning. So bear with me, because the good news is today, I hope you haven't got any plans early afternoon. If you have, cancel them right now. I've got seven points this morning. I never preach a seven-point message. Man alive. Seven lessons. Seven principles that I've learned over 25 years from the story in Acts 2 and in Acts chapter 3 that I, that I trust will challenge and bless us today. But the reality is that these seven, six or seven things, six principles and then just something from, from myself to you, I trust that it will always be in the life of this church, these principles. It doesn't matter who's leading doesn't matter what, who the leadership team are. doesn't matter the, the congregation. These are timeless, biblical, scriptural principles that need to be rooted in this church and, I believe, in, in every church. 
I wish I knew them 25 years ago. But that's life. You can only get experience by doing the job. And I want to say something, an introduction, it's not in my notes, but comes very strongly to mind before we read the Bible passage this morning. It is this. Church, don't be afraid to take risks. Sometimes the, the, the older we get, the harder it is to step out of the boat and begin to walk on water. I think there's a sense in which at 51 and a 35-year-old wife by my side, hey, <laughs> I'm not stupid, I'm not stupid. The reality is, the older you get, the, the harder it is sometimes to take the risk. Some of the decisions I made 20 years ago, I, I think twice now about maybe making some of them, because, you, because with, with the youth, there's that zeal, there's that, and you're impetuous, with a good heart you go for it. The truth is, church, you took a risk on a 26-year-old pastor straight out of Bible school. I only thought I was going to stay five years, I'll be honest. I really thought five years... And then I'll move to a bigger town or a city. And after five years, I realized the work was just starting. And there's a sense in which what I'm going to share comes out of the whole 25, but particularly the last 20 plus years, or the last 20, 19, 20 years when we've put down, we've put our DNA, our vision, our foundations into this place from that small group of people that remained in the, in the mid-90s. Okay, let's read the word together. Acts chapter 2. Verse 41. Acts 2, verse 41. Those who accepted his message, that's the message that Peter preached on the streets of Jerusalem uh, just after the Spirit of God had been poured out on the day of Pentecost. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to, come, to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but that which I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and, and, and walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet ankles became strong he jumped to his feet and began to walk then he went with them into the temple courts walking and and jumping and praising God and when all the people saw him walking and praising God they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him stand with me as we pray this morning go on let's stand our feet give you a chance to stretch your legs because you're sitting down for two hours no that's a joke <laughs> Father, it's a joy to be in the house this morning. It's always an honor to, to open your word. I pray simply this morning as we look at some principles from the passage we have read that 
today, God, that you will speak into all of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your seats, please. Seven lessons I've learned in the past 25 years that I want to illustrate from the passage here in Acts 2 and and Acts 3. Number one is this. To build a great church, you need devoted followers. Can I say that again? To build a great church, you need devoted followers. The background to the story in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 is that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the day of Pentecost. The 120 in that upper room were powerfully baptized in the Spirit, and instead of keeping it to themselves and having a nice little kumbaya session in the church there, they were propelled by God motivated by the living God onto the streets of their community to share this incredible message of salvation. The greatest miracle of all is still that God transforms ordinary lives like you and me. That God would save us, blows my mind. That God would inhabit uh, my life and my heart and my spirit still blows my mind thinking. And the early church was birthed in the power of the Spirit. The miraculous was commonplace. We see in verse 41 that 3,000 responded to Peter's preaching. That day they were baptized immediately. Water baptism is powerful. That's a message in itself. And 3,000 accepted Christ. And then verse 42 says this, they devoted themselves to build a great church that needs to be devoted followers. For this church and every Bible-believing, Spirit-filled congregation of the people of God, there has not just to be leaders, there has to be followers. And leaders and followers together need to be devoted. Can I hear you say it this morning? They need to be... I can't hear you, church. They need to be... Devoted. The Bible says that the early church were devoted to four things. The apostles' teaching, number one, to fellowship, to coming together, number two, to the breaking of bread, to having communion together, number three, and to prayer. Not just some of them, not just a percentage of them, not a fraction of that early church, but the Bible says that they devoted themselves. All of them were devoted to these things, and they are the pillars of every local church. Prayer and worship. The teaching of the Word of God. The breaking of bread. Communion. The coming together of the body of Christ in joyful times like Stacy's wedding on Friday to the great jump day on Saturday. But when tragedy hits and, and, and bereavement strikes and illness comes and cancer comes and we come together as the family of God because we stand together, we pray together, we weep together as well as laughing and rejoicing together. There's a lot of emphasis placed today in the church about excellence and that's good because Jesus deserves the best. And everything we seek to do we need to do to the best of our ability, to the best of the gifts that God has given us. But I want to say this morning, excellence is good, and always strive for excellence, church. But hear me, excellence is good, but an excellent spirit is even better. Come on, did you get that this morning? Excellence 
is good, but an excellent spirit is even better. I love that scripture in 1 Chronicles 4, 9 that talks about a few pastors I know. I know a few Jabez's, by the way, because the name means troublemaker. I know a few pastors who are troublemakers. They're my friends. If you think I'm saying that about them, wait till they talk about me. And Jabez, who was, we don't know his circumstances, two verses in the middle of 1 Chronicles chapter 4, almost lost amidst the, the lists of genealogies, tribe upon tribe of the nation of Israel. There is this scripture that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Not just honorable, but more honorable. Oh, there's a challenge, church, isn't it, in the days to come? The Whitburn Pentecostal Church, or whatever you call yourself in time to come, that you are not just honorable in how you live, act as the people of God in this place, but the witness coming from this church, that this place, this, this church, WPC, would be more honorable. To build a great church, you need devoted followers. Second lesson I see from the passage here that I've learned in 25 years is that unity in church is vital. Come on. Does anyone agree with me and am I preaching to myself? I often preach myself and go for a walk on this platform at times. And Unity in the church is vital. Look at what verse 44 of Acts 2 says. All the believers were together. Come on, let me hear you say it. All the believers were together and had everything in common. In fact, at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost, the Word says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and, and there seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, and can't the rest on each of them. This is not in my seven points this morning, but I can't preach my last message without saying this as the senior pastor. Hey, we're a Pentecostal church. Always go for the Spirit of God. Never squeeze the Holy Spirit out of our gatherings. Hey, this is not a denominational statement. I'm going to say right now. We're not Baptist. We're not Presbyterian. We're not Methodist. We're not Anglican. And I thank God for the body of Christ. But we are part of this family called Assemblies of God, Pentecostal. doesn't matter so much what's on the name out there, but we are Pentecostals. Come on! And that is not arrogant. Hear my heart this morning. We join with the whole family of God. But we believe in the present day exercise of the gifts of the Spirit for today. We believe that God still speaks through the gifts of the Spirit, primarily through His Word, but also through the gifts of the Spirit and in other, other ways. Unity in church is vital. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. The Message Bible says, how wonderful... How beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. I've noticed something in 25 years. Sometimes people can not get along, myself included. So let me say right now, if over at any point in 25 years I've upset anyone, that's a stupid question, I'm sure I have. Some of the things that come out of this daft mouth. Hey, I apologize. Because the reality is that unity is vital. Unity is not uniformity. We can agree to disagree on some things. We can see things differently at times. 
Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, chapter 4, verse 3, says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. But God blesses unity. Unity in the church, unity between churches, unity when the body of Christ come together to fight the devil who is our real enemy. Some churches think the enemy is inside and they fight amongst each other. Thank God this has never been a congregation like that. But our real enemy is the devil and, and his host of demons who want to destroy the work of God. I learned this oh, many, many years ago in church life. In 1994, we had the Kensington Temple Black Gospel Choir. In the month of March, in all of the Pentecostal churches in Great Britain, there was a gym month. Gym stood for Jesus in me. One month of concerted evangelism and outreach. Instead of navel-gazing and folking inwardly, we were reaching out for the whole calendar month. And in this church, we had something every day, 30 or 31 days, depending on how many days there are in March, 30 days, half November, April, you're in February, boy. You're in February. And we had something every day. And on the middle Saturday, the Black Kensington Temple Choir came to Whitburn. Everybody wanted them, and we got them for one of the Saturdays. Folks said, you'll never get them. I says, I believe God's placed them into my heart to make the invitation. This place was far too small. And we had six to 700 people packed into the Miners' Welfare Social Club, the building on the main street, which is no more now. And we had one heaven of a night. Can I say that with reverence this morning? Because heaven came down and met us. I, on my CV, I sang with the black KT choir. I was the only white face and I'm on the 2025. And it was wonderful because, man, they, they, they could sing. They had rhythm that I could only dream about. But the reality was at the end of a great night of gospel uh, music and outreach, and I went up to do a five, ten minute preach, preach the gospel. We've been praying and fasting and believe. I honestly believed. I looked out on more unsaved than saved in the Miners Welfare Club that night. I was believing for 50, 60, 70 more responses to the gospel. Because we'd done our bit. And now we were looking to God to do what only He can do, and that is save a life. You know what happened? I gave the, the preach, I gave the appeal, and nobody moved. I says, if you want to accept Christ as Savior tonight, raise your hand right now and we'll talk more with you at the end of the service. Nobody moved. Not a flicker. So I did what every good evangelist does. I gave the appeal again, thinking, okay, nothing. Closed the meeting, went home, and I thought, what's happened here? What's happened here tonight? And I was confused, and, and I'm praying, and... I didn't get the answer until months later because a few short months later all, all hell broke loose in the church here. The church fractured. Many people left and God spoke to me just after that and said, this is my paraphrase now, I'm not going to entrust newborn babies into a situation of conflict in a local church. Why would I rescue, forgive, save a soul a newborn life and put him into that environment. I learned a lesson that unity in church is vital. Unity is not all seeing the same thing the same way, ticking every box. 
on the fundamentals of the faith, yes, we need to adhere to what we believe, but unity is not uniformity. But unity in church is vital. The third lesson, number three, is the importance of Sunday. The importance of Sunday. There is something special about when the people of God come together like this on a, on a Sunday morning. In fact, not just Sunday, the importance of every gathering when the, the people of God come together. Acts 3.1, one, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple, modern day church, at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. For Peter and John, it was lifestyle. We're on our way to church. The reality today is that so many people forget the importance of Sunday or whenever we gather together. I believe that it is vital that we come together as the people of God. One of the reasons I knew growing up that, that prayer was important as a kid was not by going to a prayer meeting. It was by observing my dad every Saturday evening at 6.45. Now, he was a joiner. He worked six days a week. He'd finish at four on a Saturday. He'd come in. He used to watch the wrestling. He'd come in, cup of tea, sit down in the house. Who remembers the world of sport? Ian does. Bobby and Chuck do as well. Dave does. Mick McManus. <laughs> Forget... Um, giant haystacks and all the, the novelty. These were the real wrestlers, you know. And he would sit with a cup of coffee, watch the wrestling, and then at six, after tea, at 6.30, 6.45, he'd get up, put his jacket on. He would get the car and go three miles to Fraserburgh to the Baptist church that we grew up in for the Saturday night prayer meeting. There were only six of them. They used to meet every Saturday night. Funny that, the prayer meetings never seemed to attract Sunday morning gathering. Never, 25 years, never quite worked that one out. Funny. And I watched him as a kid, and I thought, this is important to him. And it instilled into my young heart the consistency of seeing someone live out his values and what he, and what he believed. When we gather together, it is important. I said two weeks ago that the pendulum in churches today has swung to the other extreme when I first got saved, there was meetings every night of the week. In fact, I got a confession. I so wanted to be in church. I wanted to go to everything. When I first got saved, man, fell in love with Jesus. He, the, the wonder of knowing my sins were forgiven. And I had an incredible future ahead in God. I just wanted to go to church. I even wanted to go to the ladies' meeting on a Monday night. That's how much. <laughs> I've never, ever said that publicly before. So will you secret on this I wasn't quite prepared to wear a dress or a skirt so that one was blown out of the but you get the point this morning I just wanted to be where the people of God are and now today people pick and choose what meetings they go to Ah, not every week on a Sunday they won't miss me actually you are missed when you're not here the body misses the body one in two, one in, one in four I believe one in one I believe that Sunday morning or Tuesday night or whenever the, the gatherings are, that's where we not just should be, it's where we want to be. You see, one thing I learned also, I can't put desire in anyone's heart. Only God can do that. But we create and facilitate an atmosphere of God, the Holy Spirit, to work and trust that He is going to do the rest. The importance of 
coming together, the importance especially of the family coming on Sunday morning, all ages. I believe not just in a church for one age demographic, but the body coming together, all learning from one another. The importance of, of Sunday. Number four, are you still with me this morning? Give me a wave if you're still with me. Always expect God to show up. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 3. Now a man crippled from birth, verse 2, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, and Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. The key word here is expecting. As the crippled beggar who used to beg day after day at the temple gate called Beautiful, wondering how much cash he was going to get that day to see him through that day or that week. As the man was sitting there day after day, one day, you see there's always one day that breaks in on every day. And the wonderful thing is that in routine of life, very often we do not know or understand when God wants to do something extraordinary in the ordinary. Stay with me this morning, church. Because for the crippled beggar, his one day was about to happen because he was looking for some money. He saw Peter and John coming towards him. He didn't realize who they were. They were just another two men in a sea of faces that would pass by, often not even looking at the crippled beggar as they went into the house of God. But this day, this man was in for the surprise of his life because the Bible says that Peter and John said, look at us. Now church, hear me this morning. The world needs to say to the church, hear the church say, look at us. And when they look at us, we point them to someone far greater than us. Because we can do very little. But the one who lives and dwells and resides in us has got the power and capacity to do everything. And his name is Jesus. So when people say, what have you got to offer, church? We say, look at us. Look at what is happening here. And when they come in, we point them heavenward. And he does what only he can. And Peter and John said, silver and gold we don't have. Hey, come on. We're assemblies of God pastors. Five quid for the rest of the year. <laughs> I'm going to take an offering this morning for myself. No, I'm just joking. It's <laughs> a good idea, Lois, isn't it? Silver and gold I do not have, but that which I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. God showed up. God broke in. It may have been one of the least expected times in the life of that crippled beggar. We don't know how long he'd been begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, but he was taken there day after day, Scripture says. But this was the day, not any old day. And I believe that we need to have that heart, spirit, expectation when we come together at gatherings like this, every Sunday morning, every Wednesday prayer meeting, every life group, every Treasure Kids uh, meeting, every Rainbow Kids, every Oxygen Youth Gathering, every Friday Fellowship, every time we come together, we need to have that heart and spirit that says, is this the day? 
that you're going to do something above and beyond. Oh, come on. Someone say, Amen. I'll get a little bit excited today. Because my Bible still tells me that He is the God of the immeasurably more. Ephesians 3. The God who is able to do far and above, exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. But we need to make time for Him to move. And we need to come together with expectation. Everyone say expectation. No routine. Not just, oh, it's another Sunday service. It's Andrew preaching again. Stevie preaching again. But expectation in our hearts that someone far greater than Andrew or Stevie's in the house and his name is Jesus. And he's longing this morning to touch lives and impact lives to save souls, bring the, the backslider, the prodigal home, heal sick bodies, do whatever he wants to do. When we come together, expect God to move. Let's make time for him to move. There must have been a time in the past the crippled beggar lying at the entrance to the gate would say, is this the day? That's for God to decide. But we come with a hunger and a thirst for God to show up. I was preparing for the message and got to, got to this part about God showing up. God just dropped a couple of people into my heart. One's here, one's not here today. So the one who is here, Martin, man, you are a good man. Everyone look at Martin Neely. Don't embarrass him. But tell him that he is a good man. You are man alive. I've watched you serve and serve and serve and serve and serve when nobody's looking with a smile on your face. I watched you jump yesterday. I've watched you. Oh, man. But the word of the Lord to you this morning is, yes, God is pleased with your service. Yes, God is pleased with your faithfulness. And you know that God has done something amazing within your life. But now I believe the word of the Lord is, and this is the scary bit, it's time to step up a gear, Martin. Some of the things that God has deposited into your heart that you say, that's okay for Tim and Robert and Stevie and others, but that's not me. God says this morning, no, I've got plans for you. I've got things that only you can do, and you will serve me not just in the practical, but he's got some spiritual stuff that will be... And it won't happen overnight, so don't panic, okay? But boy, if you keep that same heart and spirit, and you allow God to work within you, I believe that incredible things can happen. One other person is not here, but this morning God spoke to me about your daughter. And she's at the back on the, on the she's panicking right, she's looking, ooh, looks, ooh, sorry. Sorry, Stephanie. You've come a long way in a short time. You're a different girl to the girl that I sat at the table in Bulgaria when I did that little visit to the team and Man, you're growing and being stretched and expanding. And there's leadership within you that will come out. But don't run too fast. You know some of the things that God has placed in your heart and some other things that God will surprise you with in the days to come. But I just believe that you're in a good place at the moment. So don't strive and don't wrestle. And don't get frustrated when it doesn't come to Stephanie's plan and the way that Stephanie thinks it should because you want everything now. You want everything yesterday. And uh, so give her some patience along the way, Lord. But I just prophesy good things ahead in your life. 
good things ahead in your life. Okay. Number five. You still with us? Hey, number four. We always need to expect God to, to show up. Number five. Understand who we are in Christ. Silver and gold I do not have, Peter and John said, but that which I have I give you. To meet the challenges of 21st century, secular, postmodern, non-church attending, unsaved Scotland, we need to be able to offer them something. Isn't that right, church? We have to be able to give something. It's one thing to hide behind a lectern and preach and say this is what needs to happen if people are coming in and saying what you are preaching or what you are saying as a church you're saying one thing but you're not delivering on the other hand what have we got to give that's my farewell challenge this morning church what have you got to give in the days months and and the years to come i'll tell you what we've got to give we've got jesus to give at the end of the day doesn't matter what gift you have, doesn't matter how long you've been saved, we need to understand that it is that relationship with the living Christ within us, that's what we have to give. Out of the overflow of the relationship we have with God, we give Jesus to others. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. It's time to waken up and understand, church, we're not just anybody. We have the living God dwelling, reigning, ruling, residing in us. Come on, church. And he longs to flow through his people. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. There is spiritual dynamite in this place. And it's within your life and my life. I'm looking at the second row here. Great to see the teenagers. Not, not in the back row as you were last week, but on the second front row. Come on, fantastic. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and in you and in you. Now come and help me, Victoria. I can't reach over. And in you and in you. And young Lewis, who's now taller than his mom and dad, now in you. And don't forget you as well, young man. <laughs> Spiritual dynamite. I remember the night many years ago we had another kind of dynamite in the church when there was a package just inside the, the front door and we're worshipping Jesus and a note came to the platform and Andrew get to the foyer. I went to the foyer and the stewards were panicking. I said, I said what's wrong? They said, look at this. And I looked and said, it's a bomb. It wasn't a bomb, but it was a very good imitation and this the bomb squad came from Edinburgh. Roy Monks, the ex-pastor of Livingston Elam, was guest speaker here. I'll never forget the night, Mr. Cook, you and I walked down that aisle as he was in the middle of his sermon. He must have thought, what heresy have I preached? I said, excuse me, Roy, just a minute, please. He graciously, kindly stopped his message. And I said, folks, don't worry, don't panic. We've found a suspect package in the foyer that looks a little bit like a, and I use the B word, a bomb. Man, I've seen this church move fast over the years. I've seen some of you move on the dance floor at the hoggy party. I always wish there was more of that on a Sunday, but hey, hey, that's life. I've never seen anyone move as fast in my life. This place was evacuated. The cars were out within two minutes. And it wasn't a bomb. 
It was a kid who used to be part of a kid's church. Alana, what are you teaching them over there? <laughs> Whose brother was serving in the army in Northern Ireland and showed him how to make an imitation. And I remember, long after everyone headed away, getting angry at the devil that night, because this place was well filled. I was angry, not just we hadn't got the offering taken. <laughs> By the way, Gene, amazing treasurer. I want to applaud you this morning. Gene, Gene Lane. Woo! Man alive. It has been a joy to work with you in the church finances. Because you're a woman of integrity who's competent. And I've worked with some treasures in the past who are not as nice as you to work with. I got angry that night in that car park. Because the devil wasn't just the offering. I'm joking with the offering. We didn't get a chance to finish the message and give the appeal because at the end this morning we'll do that and ask if anyone's in this place who's never accepted Christ as Savior or maybe you're wayward and backward and, but you need to come home, we'll do that this morning. It didn't quite happen. What have we got to give? Same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Understand who we are in Christ. Number six, we're almost done. We don't build the church, but Jesus does. Come on. Who builds the church? I will build my church. Matthew 16, 18. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Never forget, church, never underestimate the power in the name of Jesus. It's not any old name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. Slide six, Stephanie. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And because there is power in that name, as Peter and John spoke the word over him, the miracle happened. We can't heal anyone, but God can. Lord, in the years to come, I pray and prophesy over this church this morning, God. It will always be the name of Jesus Christ that we live for, that we teach, that we preach, that we die for, that we believe you for. For all the souls you're still going to save. For all the, the lost, wayward lives are going to come back home. For many, many prodigals. For family members, Lord, that you're going to bring back into the kingdom for sick bodies that are going to be healed, for ground that is still yet to be taken, for lives that still are to be impacted. It's by the power of the name of the resurrected Christ. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray this morning, Lord, the name of Christ over this congregation. Church, keep the main thing, the main thing. So easy to get sidetracked, digressed, distracted, even with legitimate things. We had a fantastic pastors and leaders area day in Perth on Wednesday. My friend and co-worker from, from England, actually I, I um, insulted him when I introduced him. His name is Grayson Jones. He pastors in Doncaster. I forgot he was Welsh because he's been in England so long. I said, it's great to have my English friend with us this morning, Grayson. He get up and said, you've just insulted the guest speaker. I am Welsh. I was sent as a missionary to England in 1988. 
And the rascal kept it up for a few minutes and I'm, I'm pleading forgiveness. <laughs> he told this story. He told a few. He spoke on the need to be outward focused. Identifying the win was from Mark chapter 2 was his passage and keeping the, the main thing, the main thing. He told the story of Jerome Moody. The New, Orleans, the New Orleans Times reported recently at the local municipal pool and beach area there was a big celebration at the end of the summer. It was the first summer in many, many years that no one had drowned either in the pool or in the beach, even with lifeguards around. And so they were delighted at this and so they had a celebration. They had a pool party. Over... 200 people attended, including 100 certified lifeguards. And at the end of the party, and they had food and drink, and, and they were applauding the successful summer. At the end of the party, when everyone had gone away, four lifeguards on duty were cleaning the pool, and they found a fully clothed dead body. 31-year-old Jerome Moody. And Moody had drowned while the lifeguards... And the people who were there to celebrate no deaths were celebrating. It's a picture of many churches that I know. Not this one. Because we are outward focused and will continue to be. But many churches I know that get to even a respectable size by UK standards and go into maintenance mode and just, just keep things ticking over. As long as there's bums and seats... As long as ties are in the offering bag, as long as we maintain the programs and the projects, as long as there's meetings to go to, it doesn't really, really, truly matter about those who are not yet part of the family of God. But the truth is, this morning, that we're not called to be keepers of an aquarium, but we are called to be fishers of, of men and women. And the mandate over the church is, as it always has been, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're almost done. Two minutes. Number seven. The best is yet to come. Come on, church! The best is yet to come. For the crippled beggar, the best was yet to come. As he was begging... At the temple gate, day after day, one day, Peter and John pitched up. One day, the power of God touched his life, and he was wonderfully healed. But look at what the Bible says. As he was healed, he went with them. Verse 8. He went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at that temple gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what the Lord had done. I prophesy over this church today, the best is still yet to come. Stand with me as I pray and just in these next few moments. The best, Lord, is yet to come. I declare it. I speak it. I prophesy it. I do it with confidence this morning because, God, you haven't finished with this church yet. There is much, much more to do in the days to come. 
There are things in the heart of God that some people, Lord, have already received and are believing for. Long-standing promises. The, the believing of God. Uh, being faithful to His Word. There are things that are bubbling up within individuals all over this place that are going to see the glorious fulfillment and accomplishment of in this house. So, Father, it's not a triumphalistic statement. It is true this morning that the best is still yet to come. Lord, it has been a privilege. It's been a joy to have been the, the lead pastor down through a quarter of a century. Jesus, I pray for Stevie, I pray for Mary, I pray for Dion, I pray for Bobby, I pray for Steve Giorgio as a senior leadership team. Pray for the extended leaders, everyone who has responsibility of leading a group ministry department. I pray from the youngest to the oldest. Pray for the kids over. For the road. Pray for the whole church. Say the best is yet to come. Filled with wonder. And amazement at what God does in and through this church, touching West Lothian for the gospel's sake. Father, nothing, absolutely nothing, will give Lois and I greater pleasure than watching from a distance the wonder and amazement of the people in this community that finds Christ as Lord and Savior in the days to come. Because God, you are not finished this work yet. Jesus.